good morning, church. Welcome to everybody that's engaging with us online. Man, we are grateful for technology and we're grateful for all. Can you just give a shout out to our teams that are behind the scenes, just making all this stuff happen? If you wanna know how all this happens, never ask me, because I have no idea. I just stand up here and talk. That's all I got. That's all I can do. Uh, do you ever have a hard time holding on to faith? All the liars come to church today? Come on, if you, do you ever really have a hard time holding on to faith? Do you ever feel like there are moments when, when, when it's a thread and the thread is, is hanging on by a thread? Your thread's hanging on by a thread. Imagine what that's like when you wake up that way and you have to preach. Because that's what I've been doing a lot lately. And I don't know, and, and you, ever feel, you ever feel like your faith is kind of in crisis, but you, you don't even really know why? It's not like, come on, it's not like things are, are bad or you have even a really, and so then you feel guilty. Because you could understand it if you were struggling to believe in God, if, if everything in your life was sideways, but maybe everything is, is fairly decent. Not everything's perfect. Not everything's great. But you just wake up and you're just struggling to believe in God. Maybe you've been praying and praying and praying for something and you, and you see no movement at all. Or maybe you've been praying and praying and the exact thing that you want to happen, it seems like the opposite is happening. And maybe in the world that we're in right now, you're just like, God, why, why aren't you fixing all this? Because I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. And that's kind of how I woke up this morning. And then God did something that he always does. Sometimes when you're waiting on a miracle and you're about to give up on it, God reminds you of the miracles he's done in the past. He sends you a reminder of, of, of what he's gonna do and it gives you faith of what he did. So it gives you faith to think about what he can do. The best way to know what God can do is remember what he did do. You can believe he can because he has. Come on, somebody. You, you can believe he can because you know he has. And this morning during our, our nine o'clock gathering, and I, had not, I actually asked them permission to kind of share this with you. I was, I was sitting down front and I was worshiping and in the middle of the set, because I'm 42, I had to go to the bathroom. And y'all don't need to know that, but this was part of the story. And, and I'm walking back and sitting right back over here to my right, about two thirds of the way back, are Kelly and Amanda Baker. And that, y'all might not know Kelly and Amanda, but today it wasn't just the two of them, between them was their baby girl in the carrier sitting right there on that row. And that too might not mean anything to you, but Kelly and Amanda are a couple in our church that I've been praying for, for several years. Because right when they started coming to our church, we, we started having conversations about, about what they were experiencing. And it was, early on, they, 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 were, they were sharing with me something that I was familiar with. See, I know what it's like to long to be a father and think that maybe you never will be. I know what it's like to hold my wife after a miscarriage. And so when I began to hear Kelly and Amanda's story, there was just something that, that resonated with me. And so I have prayed for Kelly and Amanda for years. I have wept for them. I have, I have, 
I've stood in this room. I stood at the middle school. That's how long we had been praying for them. And I can remember days when I would just be sitting at my desk here in the office and, and God would just put them on my heart and, and I would just start crying out that God would just give them the desires of their heart because I've watched their pain. And so a few months ago, when they told me that finally, once again, they were pregnant. And when I saw that baby girl sitting back there, it reminded me that God is still in the business of miracle. And I looked down at this baby girl and I thought, I prayed for you. I, got pr I prayed that you would be here. Please don't scream while I'm preaching. <laughs> but if you do scream, it'll be okay. That God, God point, pointed me to that, that miracle. And so can I just say, you need to keep praying because God's still listening. That may be all you came for today. Keep praying. You know why you should keep praying? Because God's still listening. You should keep praying because God's still listening and he will answer. Now, let me just say, he may say no, but he will answer. But I remind you, he only says no when he has a better yes. That should have got an amen from at least three people in the room and at least some on the line, right? God, yeah, thank you. God will only says no when he has a better yes, but it was a reminder in that moment that Matt, I know right now in this season, you feel like things aren't happening and you're continuing to not see movement on the things that you're praying for, but can I show you this baby girl to remind you of the times I have been listening and I have done awesome things in your life? And can I just point you to this miracle as a reminder to stop feeling sorry for yourself and believe I am who I said I am. And that's what God does. And you know, none of his miracles are just for our amusement or our entertainment. Everything he does, all these signs and wonders that he's always done has been to affirm our belief in him. To remind, he, he doesn't just give us what we want. He, he does these things to remind us of the reality that he is God. And I think sometimes we read scripture and we wonder, where is the God of the Bible? Because it feels like we watch this God who, who fed 5,000 and who does all these miraculous things. And so much so that we get lost in the shuffle and we overlook the miracles that are often right in front of our face. That baby girl is a miracle. I believe it, I know it, I prayed for it. And if God can do a miracle like that, he can do the miracle that you're asking for as well. And what John is writing in his gospel are all these stories, these miraculous things that he got to watch Jesus do. And John is not shy about his agenda. When John writes this gospel, by this time, he is an old man. And before he dies, he wants to put his recollection on paper. He wants to put down the stories that he can remember, that he recalls, the stories that, that moved him to have faith and trust and believe in Jesus. And he wants to, before I die, I wanna write these stories down in hopes that someday people will sit in a church in a little old town of Randleman and hear these stories once again and they might just believe in the same Jesus I fell in love with as well. And so he starts to write these stories and, and we've been walking through them over the last several weeks. And, and John, he doesn't hesitate, man, right in the gate. He says, I'm writing this stuff so that you'll believe. 
My whole purpose is to show you these signs and wonders that Jesus performed, these miracles that I got to witness with my own eyes, not just so that you think Jesus is cool, not so that you're impressed by the cool stories that I got to experience, but so that by reading them, you might believe. And so we're leaning through this gospel, praying and hoping that people who engage in these experiences over the next several weeks meet the God of the universe. Understand the power that comes with having a relationship with Jesus. And so today we're gonna look at another one and it's really cool. So go with me to John chapter nine. John chapter nine. Jesus is continuing to do amazing things and John is just pulling these stories out of his memory and writing down these details. And the one that he records, this encounter, and and can I just remind you, we see Jesus encountering all kinds of people. And if you notice, Jesus was never really scheduled, but he was always intentional. Jesus didn't live on an itinerary, but every day he was intentional. You know who he served? Whoever the father put in front of him. It didn't matter if they were poor, rich, named, or unnamed. It didn't matter if they were broken or if they were, had an affliction or if they were affluent. That Jesus, whoever put, I think sometimes we get in our mind that, that Jesus only served one type of people. It was only the poor people, only this. Jesus served and ministered to whoever the Father put in front of him. We ought to learn a lesson from that church. He starts ministering to him and John tells this story that one day, verse one, as we went along, he saw a man blind, from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus responded in verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So one day the disciples and Jesus are doing what they did every day, just going about doing their thing. And John says, there was this one day we found a man He was blind from birth, from the onset. He was born completely without sight. He didn't have an accident. Something didn't happen that caused him to lose this sight. His whole life, his whole life was dark. He had never had a moment when he saw a sunrise. He didn't see the beauty of the trees. He didn't look upon the crystal blue waters. He was completely dark from the day that he was born. And then John says something that reveals a deep-rooted concept in their culture. He asks the question, Jesus, what happened? Who sinned? Was it his mom and dad or was it him? Because in this culture, they deeply believed if you had any kind of physical affliction of that manner, you were being punished by God. That it wasn't random or it just wasn't an accident, that that you must have done something so terrible and made God so angry that you were hit with this type of ailment. And so that would have made for a really difficult life. If you were that evil a person, that deep of a sinner, that God would punish you by blindness, people would reject you your whole life. They would have seen you as worthless. They would have stepped over you and spit on you and acted like you weren't worthy of a thing. And Jesus answers their question. He says, no, it wasn't his mom, it wasn't his dad. It wasn't him who did anything wrong. This is, this is the situation so that God can do something powerful in it. And Jesus right there is teaching us a lesson that's hard to wrap our minds around. That most often God will use the platform of our pain to display his power and accomplish his purpose. 
God will use the platform of your pain to display his power and accomplish his purpose. That no matter how painful the situation, your pain can become a platform where God shows up, displays his power and accomplishes his purpose. So I know that many of us are in a moment of pain, but never forget that God will use your pain as a platform to display his power and accomplish his purpose. Because that's who he is. But what happens next is weird. The Bible says that Jesus walks up to the man and it says he spits into the ground and makes mud and puts it on the man's eyes and then instructs him to go to a specific pool in order to wash. Now, if you don't ask why the son of God would decide to use a loogie to heal a man, you've never been 12 years old. And this is where, again, I want more of the story. So much of this, I'm like, I, I want more of the story. What, this guy, he's sitting there, he's doing what he had done every day of his life. As a blind man, there weren't programs and systems in place to help a blind man function in this society. You were cast out. Your chances of survival were, were very slim. Your only chance to make enough money to buy food was to do what this man was doing. He got up every morning, went to his spot, and he would panhandle. He would beg for just enough money or food to somehow make it through the day. It was a day-to-day -day existence. You hope that you would get just enough compassion from somebody to get enough substance in your body to live through that day and make it to the next. And now all of a sudden, there's another man stands before him. And I wonder if he is hearing this unfold as Jesus spits into the ground. And I wonder if in that moment that he tense up. Because I think it's very likely that he had been spit on before. Just the very question that the disciples asked, who sinned, this man or his parents? There would have been a lot of people in society that would have thought he was so evil, so wrong, so messed up that to spit on him would have been nothing for them. And I wonder if he, the moment he heard that sound, if he thought, here it is again. But then all of a sudden, this weird rabbi that's getting all this notoriety, he doesn't spit on him, he spits on the ground. And spitting, which was once a way for somebody just to once again express disapproval and rejection would now be used to bring healing. And he takes this mud, this clay, and he puts it on the man's eyes. And he says, okay, now go and wash in the pool. How long, did, how long did he sit there thinking, is this for real? Eyes all crusty full of mud. Did he, did he, did he have a moment where he thought, this is crazy. This, this, is, this is the meanest thing that ever, not only did you not spit on me, you spit on the ground and then you covered my eyes with mud. How long did it take for him to think, could this really be the day? Every day I've gotten up, come to this spot, begged for my life, made it through the day, and I, I had been in this pattern year after year after year. What if, what if this is gonna be different? 
So he has to make his way through the crowd and he finally gets to this pool and does he bend over and start splashing water on his eyes and maybe the mud had dried by this point and it's, and it's crusty and he's, he's barely just getting his eyes open. And what happened the moment he could barely get one eyelid disconnected from the other and all of a sudden something floods into his retina that he has never experienced before, light. See, none of us, we can't even relate, but, but what's, what's he experiencing in that moment? Like this is, this is really happening. And the mud's beginning to wash off and more and more he's beginning to get his eyes open and open and open. And now all of a sudden, a world that he's never known before floods his entire spirit. He can see. And for the first time, boom, there's the blue sky with clouds in it. And there's the sun. And is he having to, to even adjust his eyes because it's painful because he spent his entire life in darkness. And he's looking around and he's seeing the waters and watching them crest. And he's looking around and watching children play with their parents. And all of a sudden, a whole new world is open to him. That's an excitement that I don't know if most of us can relate to. But quickly, things begin to get challenging because if you go to verse 8, all of a sudden, those people that had watched him beg every day notice that there's something different. Verse eight says, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Y'all, is that Charlie? Now, I don't know why I call him Charlie. It's the first thing that popped in my head in the first service, so we're gonna stay with it. That's, is that Charlie? Is that the same blind dude that we've seen every single day for years? begging, he looks like he can see. But some claim, some claim that it, he was. Others said, no, no, no that's not Charlie. It, it, just, it just looks like him. But he himself said, I am the man. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, it's me. I recognize your voice. I've heard the things that you said about me. It's me. How then, verse 10, how were your eyes opened? And he replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Hey, what, what happened to you? That Jesus that everybody's really freaking out over? The one that the religious people can't figure out? He showed up, he spit on the ground. He, I know this sounds weird. He, he put some mud on my eyes and he said, go wash in this pool. I thought, why not? I went and washed and now your hair looks crazy. <laughs> like he can see and these people are puzzled. And they say, verse 12, where is this man? And he says, I don't know. I don't know. See, at some point after Jesus puts the mud on his eyes, he exits the scene. So it seems. And sometimes, like as you read a story, you wonder if Jesus is kind of just in the background watching it all unfold. Watching him. Watching him the first time he sees a bird fly through the air. He says, I don't know where he went. 
but people are taken aback. Because see, when, when you experience change that people didn't expect, they don't know what to do with it. Some of y'all experienced that firsthand. You are so different than who you used to be. People are like, is that, is that Fred? That ain't how he was in high school. Y'all should have seen him. Anybody so drastically different than who you were that people who used to know you can barely recognize you because Jesus has got a hold of your life, changed you from the inside out and made you new. Come on, somebody, testify. Let me hear you. But they don't know what to do with him. So they, verse 13, they, they brought him to the Pharisees. Verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. And he tells them the same story. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, nor does, does he even keep the Sabbath. Again, it's not just what he did and how he did it, it's when he did it that frustrates them. That he did this on the Sabbath. And maybe that's why Jesus sped on the ground and took the mud because you couldn't, that was considered work and he was breaking the Sabbath and people were just mad. Here is a man who was blind and now he can see and all they are consumed with was when and how he did it. Because religious people are really good about taking the, the things of God and stacking on tradition that take what God meant to be a blessing and turning it into a burden. Like, well, this is, he can't be from God, but others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs so they were divided then they turned again to the blind man what have you to say about him it was your eyes he opened and look how the blind man replies he's a prophet see even at this point like he doesn't know what to make of this Jesus this is what I know my whole life I've been blind my whole life I've known darkness. Today, I got up and did today what I had done every day for a really long time. I got up just to beg for enough to get me through the day. And then all of a sudden, this Jesus that y'all are up in arms about, I don't know all there is to know about him either, but he spit on the ground, he made mud, he put it on my eyes, I washed, and all I can know is I can see now. And they don't believe him. Like this must be some kind of trick. Because for a man to do that, he would have to be something that we don't believe him to be, that we don't want to believe him to be. And if he really did that, then we're gonna have to wrestle with some stuff and we're looking for every reason we can to dismiss this Jesus. So they say, bring in his mom and dad. And they bring this man's parents into the synagogue. And they say, is this your son? And now they're already on edge. Maybe by now they've, they've heard what's happened. And now they're in this place standing before these religious people. And I have to wonder, here they are, their son who was blind and now can see, don't even feel like maybe they can celebrate with him. Can you imagine, can you, as a father, can you imagine walking in and thinking, son, 
I remember holding your hand as a little boy because you were blind and you couldn't make it through this world. And now this son who I've cried for and prayed for and just wished he could be able to experience the things that I can experience. I wish he could see my face as his father. And now I'm standing in this and the religious people, all they wanna know is what happened. And it's already been made known. If you acknowledge Jesus in any way, they're gonna, they're gonna kick you out of the church. They're gonna kick you out of the synagogue. And they simply say, this is what we know. Yes, he is our son. Yes, he was born blind. And yes, now he can see. He is of age. So anything you wanna know further, you're gonna have to ask him. So they bring him back in a second time. Look at verse 24. It says a second time they summon the man that had been born blind. And they say, give glory to God by telling the truth we know this man is a sinner. Like we've all, it's funny how people who've not yet met Jesus have already made up their mind about Jesus. We know he is a sinner. We know he is a sinner. And I love verse 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Like, I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I got just as many questions as you got. I don't have, I can't explain all the stuff. This is what I know. Today I woke up blind. I had an encounter with Jesus and now I can see. That's what I know. You know, you don't have to know everything to believe in something. You don't have to have the answer to every question to answer the one that's most important. What will you do with Jesus? He so, you know what, I, I don't know either. I can't understand a lot of what's happening. I'm still, like, this is still fresh. I'm still trying to adjust my eyes to this new world that it's been open to. I can't explain it all either. I, in so many ways, I'm like y'all. I have my doubts and my frustrations and I can't explain this either, but this is what I know. I am changed and the one who did it was Jesus. My whole life, I've been one way and I met Jesus and I'm now I'm another. He didn't return something I had lost. He gave me something I never had. And I can't ignore that. I can't pretend like it didn't happen. So you're asking me to deny this man, I've experienced something that won't allow me to do that. Verse 26, then they asked him, well, what, what did he do to you? How, how did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. And then I love what he does. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to be his disciples too? I love good sarcasm because that's how I roll. <laughs> Why? I've already told you. I've already told you everything I know. I don't have any new details. This is what I know. I was born blind. Woke up this day blind. Jesus spat on the ground, put mud on my eyes. I washed it off and now I can see. Then they hurled insults at him, verse 28. They hurled insults at him. You are this fellow's disciples. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from Yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not listen to sinners. You just said it yourself. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever been, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And then they threw him out. He says, you're saying you don't know? You just said nobody could do what Jesus is doing unless he was from God. So is it that you don't know or you don't wanna know? Is it that you can't see or you're just refusing to look? It sounds like to me, you do know, but for whatever reason, you're deciding to ignore what you do know. That all the evidence obviously points to Jesus being something other than what you're trying to box him into being. And you can continue to go around in this circle, but this is what I know. I was blind and now I see. And they get so frustrated because this is what people do. When they don't have an answer, they just wanna run from the conversation. And they kick him out. And then look what happens next. See, this makes me think that all along that Jesus was watching from afar, waiting for a moment to follow up. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and he went and found him. That those the religious rejects are the ones Jesus seeks. And he asked him, he says, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Now up to this point, remember, he had heard Jesus' voice and he had felt his touch, but not until now had he seen his face. Up until this point, he had heard Jesus' voice and he had felt his touch, but he had yet to seen his face. So I wonder as he's standing there and Jesus is saying, do you believe in the son of man? And he says, who is he, sir? I wanna believe him, I wanna find him. And does, does he think in the back of his mind, that voice sounds familiar. And look at what Jesus says, verse 37. You have now seen him. And in fact, he is the one speaking with you. He says, you have now seen him. That I've given you the ability to see, now look. He had felt his touch, he had heard his voice, and now he's looking him in the face. And the only way to respond when you're face to face with Jesus is the same way he responded in verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. No, at that moment, he didn't have the answers to all the questions. From that moment on, there wouldn't be times when he didn't have doubts. There wouldn't be moments when he would be pressed to explain his belief in this Jesus. Now that he's put his faith and trust in him, everybody would come to him and wonder how he could believe in Jesus. And you know what I believe his explanation would be every time? I don't know the answers to all the questions that you have. I can't explain all the things that you want explained. I can't unpack all the theology that you need. This is what I know. I was blind and now I see. I had an encounter with Jesus and I walked away different. 
And I wonder if ever, I would love to know the rest of his story, what God did in and through his life. And how many times did he get those questions and in those questions, question whether or not he had made the right decision and what he would remember is that moment when the mud fell off and the eyes opened and he would retreat back to the moment when he met the Messiah and everything was different. And in this crazy season that we're in, hanging on to those moments are so important for us to make it through. What moment do you need to retreat to today? That moment that, that you know you met the Messiah, that miracle that you knew was only from the hand of God. Because it's those moments that when our faith is hanging on by a thread that we retreat to, to re-energize us, to keep moving forward. That no, I don't know how this is gonna turn out. I don't know when all this stuff's gonna go away. I don't know when things are gonna get back to normal. I don't know why God's not answering some of the prayers that we're praying. All I know is I was blind and now I see. Told you I've been in that place a lot lately. And this week, I went back to the place where I had probably my most memorable moment. I grew up going to Victory Mountain Camp as a kid, not far from here. And this week I got to watch our students worship on those same grounds for a little while. And so I went back to a place that you've heard me talk about before. The place where I accepted Jesus as my savior. It was in the middle of an evening rally and God was stirring in my heart and I had to get out. And I went and I sat on the concrete steps of the pool house. These steps leading down to the pool at Victory Mountain Camp and sitting right there on that top step is where I met Jesus. Sitting on that top step is where I decided that I would follow him for the rest of my days. And sitting on that top step, just me and Jesus, dark in the middle of the summer of 1992, Jesus changed my life. And as I stood there this week, God reminded me, Matt, I'm just as real in your life now as I was in that moment. You are just as called now as you were in that moment. And in those times when you can't feel me and you can't see me and you can't hear me, remember, tether, come back to this moment that one day you sat on this step and you were blind and now you see. So I don't know where you are and if maybe where, you're, where you are in your faith and maybe today's that day where you need to be reminded of your moment, that moment that you met the Messiah. Or maybe for some people in the room, today is your moment. Today is the day you step from death to life. You go from, from darkness to light. Because our God, I am a miracle. The fact that he chose me and loves me and gave his life for me, the greatest miracle you will ever see is when a life goes from death to life by putting hope and trust in Jesus. God still does miracles. He is still moving. So Lord, I pray in this moment that we would be reminded that there's so much that we can't explain, but there's also so much that we can't deny that I don't have all the answers and I don't understand so much of what I'm seeing right now. But this is what I know, I was lost and now I'm found. 
I was blind, now I see. I was broken and now I'm whole. I was guilty and now I'm forgiven. And so God, we lean into that miracle. We believe you're still moving among us. We, still, we believe that you are still God. You are still on the throne. You are still real. You are still saving. You are still moving with grace and mercy in the lives of people who would turn to you. And Father, today, may there be some people who retreat to their moment and some people who find their moment here in this one. Change lives in the power of your name. Amen.